Who in here wants to know what you're made for? What, I mean, the golden question. I mean, what, what am I supposed to do with my life? What, you know, what's the purpose of man? Well, check this out. Yes. Thank you, Vincent Corcoran, for finding this. Um, I don't know if you're going to be able to see it really well. You want to help, help me lift it up onto the stage? Glory. <clears throat> okay. Holy Spirit, come. Um, <clears throat> these are the four purposes of man. You'll find it right in the beginning of Genesis. We were made to dominate or take dominion, cultivate, we were made to commune, and we were made to multiply. Hallelujah. And so, um, <laughs> what, do we, uh, what do we dominate? I mean, what do we take dominion over? Everything. Everything that moves. What do we cultivate? We cultivate the garden and the whole rest of the earth. Who do we commune with? This is interactive, people. It's written out. It's real easy. <laughs> and we multiply, obviously, with spouses. <clears throat> and <clears throat> one per person. <clears throat> Okay, but we all know something went wrong. There was what was called the fall, the big whoops. Um, <clears throat> but before the fall, God's intention and our ability was to rule wisely, to be servant leaders, to be servant rulers over everything that moves. Before the fall, we made the garden more fruitful and, and more effective. We cultivated it so that it produced even more. Before the fall, when we commune with God, the purpose was to grow in friendship, to have a, a, a relationship of discovery where we're continually getting more revelations about this, this lion and lamb, this, this alpha and the omega, and it's all centered around love. And before the fall, when we multiplied, we had these incredibly rewarding relationships um, that were open, and we got to raise royalty. Sorry, that, that kind of got erased there. Wouldn't that be a cool book name, like a parenting book, Raising Royalty? Someone do that. I only require 25% for the idea. <laughs> But after the fall, our purposes got mixed in with a carnal nature and, um, and, a, and just depraved mindsets. And we, we, didn't, we weren't walking in complete, perfect communion with the Lord. And so one of our purposes, you know, the first one, to dominate everything that moves, whereas we used to rule wisely over everything. What do you think happened here? Throw out some words when you think about someone on an ego trip that's ruling. Manipulate. Yes. Manipulate. Control. Who said it? Yes, control. control wow, my shirt is lifting right up. <laughs> <laughs> anything, anything else? Abuse. Abuse, yes. Domineer, I'm running out of room, but all these things are good. 
Um, and after the fall, whereas we used to cultivate the earth and the garden and make it more fruitful and effective, instead, who, who said that last word? Instead of cultivating the earth, we abused. We used it. I mean, greed entered in. And, and all sorts of stuff on earth died, you know? Whole species, like, disappeared. <clears throat> um, <laughs> Oh, I like this word, extort, extortion. So before the fall, when we commune with God, we grow in friendship and discovery, and it's a relationship based on love, but what does it look like after the fall? Yeah, selfishness. Yes. Mistrust. Fun. No fun. I, I threw on here, um, like, serving like a slave. Placating. You know, we're just trying to appease. Pretend. These are, yes, all good words. And before the fall, when we multiplied, we had rewarding relationships and we raised royalty. What do you think it looks like after the fall? Baggage. Baggage? You just got married, dude. <laughs> That's right. You need to hit that husband. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> I'm sorry, Jared. It's been recorded. It's out on the interweb. Baggage. Baggage. Abuse. Abortion. Abortion. Oh, yeah. Hot button. Um, how about power struggle? Enter reality TV. <laughs> what's the what's the L word? Lust. Lust enters. Anything else? Yes, uh, perversion. I also like this confused communication. You're unable to really communicate openly, be understood, and understand them. So, if uh, since man had this sudden nature change from being completely innocent to being really carnal, then all of creation now has to adjust to deal with this new danger called the fallen nature of man. So, that enters the curse. Go ahead and turn to Genesis 3.18, please. I love the Bible. We're going we're gonna, to... The whole message is from the Bible today. <clears throat> when you're a new Christian, don't you love it when pastors call out books like Genesis or Revelation? <laughs> like, I know where that one is. 
Um, actually, let's start in uh, 3.16. We're going to get to 18. Okay, so this is uh, the ramifications of the original sin. To the woman, God said, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. So that makes the multiplying part not anywhere close to as much fun. With pain you will give birth to children. This one's tough too. Your desire will be for your husband, but he will rule over you. That word desire is the same word that the Lord uses after Cain kills Abel. When he says, sin is crouching at your door and its desire is to master you. In other words, it's, it's a control desire to master and, and manipulate. That's, the, that's that desire. And so, um, enter uh, like the, the woman's struggle to try to manipulate men. I'm just being honest, alright? Hallelujah. Can I get a hallelujah from a woman? <clears throat> Again, enters reality TV. Um, Cursed, uh, okay, let's, let's, let's carry on. <clears throat> to Adam he said, because you listened to your wife, ate the tree, uh, cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles. You will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground. That's actually a result of the curse, too. We're never going to return to the ground. Uh, since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. So since man had this sudden nature change, and instead of being a good ruler, he becomes a selfish, perverted, manipulated ruler, all of creation had to adjust to protect itself from man. So the earth now is producing thorns and thistles. Women have more pain in childbirth, so they're defending men off of them. I mean, these are, these are all um, reactionary curses to the sin. Does that make sense? Because before, the earth is just like a beautiful, you know, 82 degree Walmart where they just walk around picking food off trees and enjoying it and they have all that they want because, because they're not going to abuse the earth. But now that they're going to abuse the earth, well, the, the earth has to produce thorns. Can anyone tell me what What that is. So wrong. This is a pre-fall rose. <laughs> What's that? That's a real That is a post-fall rose. What about this? I love dictionary. What's that? A pre-fall cactus. Yes, Vincent, pre-fall cactus. So then there's this. That is a post-fall cactus. Cacti before the fall were like water-filled pillows. You could just go kick them out and drink sweet water out of them. You rest your head on those lovely things. 
<laughs> this is an excerpt, I think it's Matthew Henry. Uh, it says, travelers call the Holy Land a land of thorns. That, that area around Israel where God said thorns, the earth will produce thorns. I mean, thorns grew like crazy. It says, giant thistles and briars growing to the height of a man on horseback frequently spread over entire regions that were once rich and fruitful. And many of the most interesting <clears throat> historic spats and ruins are rendered almost inaccessible by thickets of fiercely armed buckthorns. Have you guys ever seen movies where they're putting together fences made out of thorns for defense? Or that movie, The Ghosts in the Darkness. Anybody ever seen that? About the two lions in Africa? They have to put up a perimeter of these crazy thorns. This is northern Africa in order to keep out lions. And so what do thorns represent? Anybody? Fear. Self-preservation. Self bing, bing, bing. <laughs> Self-preservation, self-protection. The whole that spirit of self-preservation literally took over the earth. Let's turn to Moses or Exodus 3:2. Book of Moses. Don't worry, yeah, it's not like I lead a ministry school or anything. <laughs> Anybody know where the book of Hezekiah is? <laughs> okay. There is no book of Hezekiah. Okay. <laughs> I'm chuckling to myself because no one knows. Um, Exodus chapter 3 verse 2. This is Moses and the burning bush. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in the flames of fire within a bush. Moses saw that the bush was on fire, and it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why this bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. Anybody want to take a guess as to what kind of bush that was? Turn to Acts, chapter 7, verse 30. This is the New Testament. This is actually Stephen giving a, a summation of like the history of the world in two chapters. Um, <clears throat> Stephen says... In Acts chapter 7, verse 30, After 40 years had passed, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai in the flame of a burning thorn bush. It repeats it in verse 35. The Lord showed me that he's always becoming a curse for us. He's actually within the thorn bush. 
He's within that place of the curse. And that curse was actually, was not just punishment. It was not like some retribution. The curse was yet another thing to lead us back to him. Any good father or mother in here, when we discipline our children, it's not to push them away from us or emotionally harm them or make them really pay for what they did. The discipline is, to me- is meant to bring them back to our heart. So later on in life, they might not see it right then and there, but later on in life they will thank us greatly for the discipline that they gave us. And it will lead us back to their heart. And so this curse that the Lord instituted was yet another thing to lead us back to His heart. Go ahead and open up to Genesis 22 verse 13. What happens in Genesis chapter 22? Abraham takes Isaac. It's actually verse 222. 22-2. Abraham, take Isaac, the son whom you love, and sacrifice him. That's, that's actually the first mention of the word love in Scripture. 222. Isn't that interesting? He wanted to wait until 222 to make us understand that you can't separate love and sacrifice. All right, I thought it was cool. (laughs) Okay, this is verse 13. Abraham, he's obviously about to sacrifice his son um, because he's developed a friendship with God. He trusts in him. And right before he brings the knife down, the Lord says, stop. And in verse 13, it says, Abraham looked up, and there in a what? Or briars. They're stuck by its horns in a thorn bush was the sacrifice. A ram. He had his horns in the thorns. Is that not crazy? You, I mean, you can't write this kind of stuff or make it up that the very archetype of the sacrificial lamb, meaning Jesus Christ, the, the ram that is provided for Abraham, has his head stuck in thorns. The Lord is always taking on our curse for us. Turn to Matthew 27. Isn't this fun? This is like Bible quiz day. Matthew 27, 29. So Jesus is being scourged and mocked. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. This is verse 27. I'm sorry, verse 29. They stripped him, put a scarlet robe on him, and then they twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. Verse 
Jesus literally became a curse for us. He wore the curse for us. He was within the burning bush for Moses. He had his head stuck in the thorns for Abraham, and here he is again. He's always becoming a curse for us. I think that the thorns represent our constant, exhausting struggle to defend ourselves, protect ourselves, to not let people get too close and hurt us. Some of us might be pricklier than others, but we are all prickly. But Jesus came, and the way that he lived was free of thorns. He didn't have thorns the way that he lived his life. He didn't keep people at arm's length. He let people know who he was, and he wanted to know. He wanted to let people in. He wanted to create a community of openness and transparency so that everyone's thorns would start falling off. Jesus held out his heart like a punching bag. When it says that he would turn the other cheek, it wasn't in some show of resolve saying, I'm just going to take it and be stronger than you think. He's giving them a better shot at his face so they don't break his knuckles, their knuckles against his cheekbone. He wants them to get a good shot. He's becoming the world's punching bag. He never defends himself. Find out, it's prophesied even all the way back in Isaiah 53. It says, like a lamb led to slaughter. He didn't open his mouth. He raised no defense. He was not afraid to give people all all of his love and to be himself or to let people love him. He found a thief and put him over the budget. He found a thief and gave the thief the money bag. Does that sound like a wise move? He trusted people in order to deliver them. He brought the very man that was going to plot his murder into the close counsels of his heart. And he knew it. He knew the one that was going to betray him. That plot was foiled, wasn't it? Because Jesus let the Lord be his defender. There's so many scriptures where it says, I, the Lord, will fight for you. I, the Lord, am your strong defense. In even Exodus 14, 14, it says, don't fight, just rest, and you'll watch the Lord deliver you. That is counterintuitive. That is counter post-fall thinking. But Jesus lived without thorns so that when he wore them into the grave, they would have no hold on him to come back out. And that curse is now buried for us. 
Those thorns, no matter how prickly or sticky they were, could not follow him out of the grave. And that's where they are now. We no longer need to defend ourselves. You know that we were never made to defend ourselves. We were never made to have to fight our own battles. It's, it's a fallen coping mechanism. So Jesus now is a rose without any thorns. He's a cactus without any spikes. We can come and drink from him. That's just the way he's always been. Jesus never won my love by presenting a fine argument or defending all the ways that he loves me. He never forced me to see that his love is the only way. Do you know how Jesus won my love? He became my punching bag. And he died for me. And he took every blow that I could lay on him. He took every stripe that I could rip off of his back. And he kept saying, anything for you, Jeremy. Anything for you. And he died for me. And he came back out of the grave for me. And that's how he won my love. Do you know that that's how we actually win the lost? That's actually how we win their love to the Lord. We become a punching bag for them. And we say, you're worth it. You're worth it. It's okay. Just take it all out on me. Don't hit anyone else. I can take it. Turn the other cheek. Let them hit you. You become their punching bag and you lay down your life for them and you'll win their love to the Lord. That's how we live without thorns. So many of us are used to keeping people at an arm's distance because we're afraid of our hearts getting hurt. Do you know that the Lord can heal you better than anyone can hurt you? He is our strong defense. He's the one that we turn to in time of trouble. He is the one that we go to when things are going wrong. And He fights our battles for us. Isn't that an excellent place to live from? Isn't that a great place to be able to rest and trust? Let's pray. Jesus, we love You. We love how You lived Your life. We love how You showed us a better way. We love how you reversed the curse, how you undid everything, Lord. That curse where it says that through painful toil you will bring forth fruit from the earth and work for it. Lord, we, we got to see you multiply bread and fish. We got to see you do miraculous catches of fish. We got to see you snatch coins out of a fish's mouth. You reversed that curse, Jesus. Father, and you've taken away our thorns. Right now, Lord, I ask that the Holy Spirit would come in this room and deliver us from all self-preservation, 
from that mentality of fighting our own battles? From that survival of the fittest ideology that didn't enter the world until after the fall? Jesus, make us a family. Make this church a family. We love your presence. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.